0: One of the things we're all about here at New Life is helping people encounter Jesus. We're not the Moose Lodge. We're not the Elks Club. We don't get together on Sunday to just have a sing-along service. We expect people to encounter Jesus, the risen Christ, when they come in our midst and they meet us. And so after, everybody say after Easter. And, and I know this may go in one ear and out the other because we haven't even had Easter. We're thinking about plans and meals and family and all that. But after Easter, we're going to start a series called Encountering Jesus. And In conjunction with the series, we're going to launch a new session of Life Groups. So we're looking for uh, a way to connect the whole church at one time. We're going to do something a little bit different this time. When you sign up for a Life Group, we're actually going to be talking in our groups about what we're talking about in the Sunday services. We're going to go through several people in, in Scripture that encountered Jesus and their lives were radically transformed. And how does that affect us today? So after Easter, we're going to have a Sunday where we sign up get in groups. And if you are are a member of new life and you could open your home or meet somebody at a coffee shop or at a restaurant or just get or even come to the church and host a group, uh, we could still use a couple extra leaders because we're, we're wanting to get everybody signed up after Easter so we need some, some people in a couple different geographic areas today. so if, if you still would like to do that you need to see Pam after service, and she'll make sure that you get trained. We we have the curriculum already laid out. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to have even gone to Bible school. You could actually look in the book and say, oh, here's what Pastor talked about on Sunday, and here's some questions that we're going to discuss, and then we're going to pray for each other, and we're probably going to eat something. How many of you know food is always a good idea? So get signed up in a group and bring your friends to get connected with you, and we'll talk about that a little bit more today as we go along, too. Uh, so I'm telling you this now. Because you have a part to play in helping people encounter Jesus. This, this is not, I, I asked you to invite people to church for Palm Sunday and Easter, but this is not invite people to church so they can meet Pastor Chris and Pam. This, this is, you are New Life Fellowship. And you are a part of people encountering Jesus happens through our lives because he lives in us. So that's, I'm telling you, you can help people connect to him. And that's why you need to be a part So uh, this today, what I'm going to finish up with is just some final thoughts about things are getting better. And I hope during the course of this series that you've become a kingdom optimist, that you've engaged your your thinking and your believing and your expecting and what you speak and, and put your focus on Jesus and the fact that the cross made a difference and he's causing things to get better in the world because he released his kingdom into the earth through the work of the cross and his resurrection. So we said kingdom optimism is simply, I believe, believe things are getting better because of Jesus. And we we also talked about we want to be optimistic in all the things that we speak and say and do because our outlook matters. We have the authority. The things that we speak and do and expect matter because Jesus gave us his authority and we can influence others with what we have. And last week uh, we talked about Jesus is the winner. How many of you are glad you are on his team? <laughs> his, his, uh, he is the winner. He defeated every foe that could ever rise up against him at the cross. And the church, what we are doing is we are enforcing that victory. What he accomplished at the cross settled it forever. And then it said, we read a verse in Hebrews last week, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father and waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. He's already defeated them. Our job is saying, get in the footstool. You are going to be subjected to the victory that Jesus already won and accomplished. And as we've been going through this. Uh, oh, there are no slides up there yet. I could describe a couple of things that I had on the screen for you or. Uh, well, somebody when they appear on the screen behind me, like wave at me or something. So I know to get back to it. So uh, what we've been talking about is based on uh, Isaiah nine, verse seven. We've been using that as our key Verse that he has released something into the earth. And I was going to have us all read it together again, but it's not on the screen, and I'm not going to wait for you to look it up in your Bibles. (laughs) So here's what it says. Isaiah 9-7 says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Everybody say, "No no end. That means the increasing, the expansion of his government and peace is not going to stop. So it's all going forward. God is the only one that can promise to do something and have it never, ever end. I mean, I, I can promise you a bunch of things, but I may or may not be able to deliver. And after I die, there's no guarantee any of it's going to happen. But God promised it and he's able to perform it even through all of eternity. Sweet. Things are getting better because we have slides now. Praise you, Jesus. Can, go ahead and go to that verse for Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. There's our series coming up. The recap. Oh, there we go. Stop at that one. Have you felt like that during this series? The two batteries sitting at the table. He says, why must you always be so negative? Come on. We meet people that it's like it's like talking to a negative battery or something. That's all they want to tell you about is what's going wrong and what's so bad. And we need to be the carriers of the good news. Hey, stop. Can, I'm, I'm not encouraging you to sit down across from your friend at coffee and say, Shh, Shut your mouth. But sometimes it almost needs to feel like that. Can you, we need to look some of our friends in the face and say, or some of us need to look ourselves in the face and say, stop being so negative. Can we start being carriers of good news like Jesus has asked us to be? Go ahead to the next one. Uh, here's a guy. He's walking through the bookstore and at the at the counter, there's a book sitting there that says break the cycle of negative thinking. And he says, I'd read it, but it probably wouldn't do me any good. Come on, I feel like there's people that that act that way about the Bible. They've got problems, they've got issues, and they know conceptually, like, oh, somebody told me one time there's some answers in that book. I'd read it, but... Yeah, it really won't affect me or do it. Yes, it will. We need to be ones that remind people there are real issues of life that are solved by what the wisdom we get from Scripture. So we need to be ones that are carriers of this message of kingdom optimism. Go ahead. Isaiah chapter nine, verse seven. What I'd like you to do this week, uh, we stood and read it together last week. I would like us to stand. And you guys read it to me. Can we do that this morning? Yeah. This, this will be a little bit different. All right, Pam, you want to kick us off? Let's read Isaiah 9-7 together. Give somebody a high five and say, You did a great job. All right. You you may be seated. And here's why I did that. This this finishes the picture. I said last week this was a picture of discipleship. The first couple weeks when we put that verse on the screen, I read it to you. Then we had a, a week where we read it together. And then we had a week where we all got involved. We stood up out of our comfort zone, off of our seat, and we participated and we did it together. And this week... You guys read it to me. That was a picture of what Jesus did with his disciples. I'm going to tell you first. You're going to begin to believe it. Then we're going to do it together. And now you can go and do it on your own. And and that's why I did that with that verse, the, the way we've done it the last few weeks, because it's a picture of how Jesus interacts with us. We hear it. Then we believe it. Then we begin to do it together. And then I can go and be doing what Jesus has asked me to do. So when his kingdom increases... We we made the case that that's what we should be expecting. And when his kingdom increases, life abounds. Families begin to improve. Righteousness shows on the scene. Justice happens. Uh, peace and health. All these things begin to happen when his kingdom expands. And some of the things that we talked about over the last few weeks, we, we said things are getting better because the Father gives good gifts. These are things that came from him and he gave them to us. It expands his kingdom on the earth. It puts enemies in his footstool. And some of the things that we talked about, we said Christianity is on the rise, that the gospel is spreading throughout the earth, that people are coming to know Jesus and giving him their lives, that it is spreading. And and sometimes I'll have people say, well, Pastor Chris, I saw a stat that said church attendance is down in the United States. Thank God things are getting better because the church doesn't have as many hypocrites in it anymore. Can I... Like. How, how stupid is the devil that he just identified our target? I don't have to go to churches and try to get people saved. I find that they're all out there. Church attendance used to be a shared value in the fifties and the sixties. It was like everybody just you went to church because that's what you did. And nobody told anybody about it. I have doubts or I don't believe I don't believe in anything. Nowadays, that's not a hang up for people. And they'll tell you if, if you meet a 20 something year old that is in church every Sunday morning, they have had a radical encounter with Jesus. They, They are sold out and they are getting something out of what the church is doing. But if you see people that they treat Sunday as any other day of the week, we know, man, that's who we're after now. They they haven't they are no longer afraid to say, I don't believe and I have doubts and and I don't want any part of church. And Jesus is, hey, he's given us the good news to go carry to those people now. So even, even a stat where you say. Hey, as many people don't go to church anymore. Thank you, Jesus. The the enemy just identified our target for us. Uh, So other things that are getting better that we talked about briefly. We said life expectancy is up. How many know what the the term centenarians is? A couple people. And you're you're wondering, like, is that sci-fi? They're from the planet No. Centenarians is the, the scientific term for people that live over 100 years. So, so you've, you've lived on the earth. You're more than 100 years old. That's the group you're in. In, in 1950, there were 23,000 people on the earth that were over 100 years old. Today, the number is almost half a million. Wow. Or, yeah, because life has expanded because the kingdom has come. There, there's like 80,000 some just in the United States, I think. But it's not. Hey, I'm just old okay it's not I'm a hundred years old and they parked me in the nursing home and I'm drooling on myself like the quality of life is actually expanding people are having vibrant lives you've, you've heard the phrase uh, what was it like 40 is the new 20 and then they say 60 is the new 40 now they're saying 100 is the new 80 like they they keep having to adjust it and expand it because people are living longer because life is flourishing because Jesus released something into the earth through the cross Death. From wars are down M- more than in the last century. There's less. people. You might not believe that if you look on the news and all you see is, oh, they're firing missiles at each other. But people dying from war is at an all time low. Diseases are being eradicated. We talked about polio last week. We could have just as easily talked about mumps and measles and things like that. That the cure has been released into the earth because Jesus undercut the authority of sickness at the cross. He released healing to us. People can read. And I, I know there's, there's, there may be people that are struggling with that or not, but in 1950 or 70, somewhere around that time, 36% of the world population couldn't read or write. That number today stands around 15%. Because people are being educated and, and things are expanding. Things are getting better. Murder's down, poverty's down, hunger's down, childhood deaths, infant mortality. We, we looked at graphs about all those things the last couple of weeks because the kingdom is expanding and things are getting better. And there was one I wanted to take a couple seconds just to hone on it a, a little closer. How many of you know what has been happening with abortion in the United States? And, and in 1973, the Roe versus Wade decision got passed and, and abortion became legal. And in our church, we are pro-life. And we believe that that's not just a, a clump of tissue or cells in your womb, that that is a human being that God released into the earth. And taking that baby's life is is killing it. It's murder. And so we, we take a very strong stand at being pro-life in our church. And in fact, uh, mom, uh, the only time mom ever got arrested, my, my sweet mother, yeah. <laughs> she she parked herself in front of an abortion clinic to try to save babies. And we have pictures at the house of them jerking my mom up by her jacket and throwing her in the paddy wagon. And several of you have done that. And and what happened in abortion in, in the United States? In 1973, when it became legal, it started to increase. The numbers of it went up. And I believe it, it really, you you might not, you can go to the next slide on that. You, you might not, we could argue all the details of it, but I think it's when people realized I can make money off of this and they're they're letting me kill people, and there's dollars involved. Come on, if, if you find the root of most evil things that are happening out there, it's because there's money somewhere. So in 1973, it started to go up and up, and all through the 80s, we had about 1.6 million babies per year being aborted. And the church woke up a little bit and started to take a stand and to say, we're pro-life. And, and the technology increased where people could see better pictures of what's going on inside. And and these women were saying, wow, that really does look like a baby in there. And, and we're getting the word out and we're beginning to love people. We're not just, we're not just hitting them over the head saying, you sinner, look at the state you got yourself in because you violated the word. We're loving people and saying, man, let me tell you why we're pro-life. And the tide began to turn. And so today, the, the actual percentage of pregnancies that end in abortion, it is at a low since 1973. It's, it's come down, and the raw numbers have gone down also to about a million, which when you hear that number, two things should happen. One, one we should say, thank you, Jesus, 600,000 babies per year have been saved. The, the, there is a dent being made in the tide of abortion. But we should also hear that number and say, wow, there is work to be done. There, there is a message to be proclaimed that life is valuable, that life is important, that, that we should love people and give them alternatives to saying, hey, I'm going to end my baby's life. But it, it has been happening. It's been making a difference. Being arrested and thrown in the paddy wagon, sharing, sharing the love of Jesus with people. Those things have actually made a difference over the years that the tide has been turned. Uh, 2014, I think it was, there was an article in the Pittsburgh Tribune that said nearly half of Pennsylvania's abortion clinics have shut their doors come on Jesus is making a difference the kingdom is expanding in the world there's progress but there's much to still be done the, the default setting for the kingdom is to advance if, if we do something with what Jesus has given us, it will expand. That's that's the, in fact, the default setting for the kingdom is to forcefully advance. We, we read this verse in Matthew 11 that says that from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Forcefully advancing is the word piazzo and it means forcing yourself into somewhere where it doesn't even look like there's enough room like man how would we ever get into that area Man, the enemy's built such a fortress around it. How would we ever crack in there? And the kingdom forcefully advances into that area. And forceful people are the ones that lay hold of it. Now, don't get weird on me. That doesn't mean go home and get your guns and your militia and wrap yourself in the flag, because our battle's not with flesh and blood. Forceful advancement means people who aren't passive. I'm not going to just sit and wait for the kingdom to come. I'm not going to think it's somebody else's responsibility. I'm going to pray. I'm going to love. I'm going to get right in the middle of the mess and bring the kingdom to them. That's what forcefully advancing by forceful people means. So we are called to be the ones that go out. And when we hear these things, you you may be swayed. You may not. You may begin to think, oh, yeah, Pastor Chris, you're right. There is evidence that the kingdom's growing, that things are getting better. And what I find, though, is, is people eventually come around to this question. Even even if they say, that's great, on a worldwide scale, things are getting better, life is improving, people are being fed, that's awesome. But the question it always comes back to is, what about me? Look at my situation. I I don't care how many people are being lifted out of poverty, I don't have enough money in the bank to pay rent. Or to put food on my table for my family. Or my wife just left me. Or my child is sick. Those are the questions that people are going to ask you. Even when you come and say, hey, things are getting better. It's expanding everywhere. The first thing they'll often ask is, yeah, that's great, but what about me? What's going on in my life? And you know what? That's a fair question. I don't begrudge anybody from asking that question because for for global improvement to happen, for things to improve on a large scale, it really does have to happen one life at a time. Jesus doesn't just make a difference in the entire earth. He makes a difference in each one of our situations in our lives. And we have to be able to answer that to people. How do I see improvement come? How do things get better right here on a personal level in my life? And, and that's what I wanted to end this series with, to wrap up on how do I see things get better here? Right? I'm, I'm not even looking at my neighbor right here in my life. What can I do to see change come? And, and it, you may find one or more of these answers, but I think there's, there's at least three things that you can kind of narrow it down to that I want to give you this morning, that when we do these things, things will get better in our lives right now, right here. And uh, the first one on the list is forgive. It's amazing what happens when we let go of stuff and we forgive. And if you think about what, what does forgiveness do? Yeah. Because when when we choose not to forgive somebody, I, I hold, on, hold on to an offense or I get hurt, I get wounded, Whatever whatever you want to say about it, we start to pick stuff up and carry it. Man, Pam was rude to me. I'm going to pick this up and I'm going to carry it for a little bit. Steve was kind of offensive to me, but it wasn't a big thing, so I'll hold on to it for a little bit. Um, And Melvin, man, the way he looked at me. Have you met people like this? Like they're picking stuff up all the time. Like Life is one, one long offense party. Which end is this? Is this? Well, let me. You really. Man. Come on. I feel like Steve Martin in The Jerk. All I need is this chair and I'll be happy. Come on. We do this. And, and pretty soon it, it's like beyond our capacity. Man, Pam was mean to me. I don't know. And pretty soon you can't even move. Like, I, I, don't, I don't even have the capacity. It's just crippling me. And how many people do we know, like, for years, they're walking around like this and they, they end up looking like Marley in, in A Christmas Carol? Remember, Scrooge got visited by Marley and he had all those chains and, and the things that were weighing him down? That's what we end up like. And we need someone to set us free. Man, I, for, I forgive you. I forgive you. Man, I forgive. And, and this is a, it's a very real spiritual dynamic but even there's something physical right. that happens when if you've ever truly forgiven somebody you've had an offense that you've carried for so long when you forgive it's like this weight yeah. just comes off your shoulders and we begin to be able to walk and to do the things that Jesus has asked us to do that we were so bound up for them. and what's amazing is nothing may change in your circumstances right. Right. But things get better because you get better. Yeah, that's right. yeah. And and it's, it's really hard to do sometimes. I'm not trying to, to make it sound like, oh, it's as easy as just letting go of it and it drops off. It's hard sometimes. And you may need the Holy Spirit to empower you to say, Lord, I'm not sure I could ever forgive this person, but I want to do what you said is right. So, Lord, help me forgive. And, and there, may, there may be a time where it's, it's just a pure act of your will that it's just words... Count, Lord, I forgive Daniel for what he said to me. Right. Right. Oh, and every, every time I see him, there's still a little... oh, Lord, I forgive Daniel for what he said to me. Lord, just manifest that. Make it real. Le- lift that weight off of me. And it, it binds us if we don't let it go. And this is... Come on, Christians especially should be experts at forgiving. Okay, I, I don't expect people in the world to be good forgivers because they don't know Jesus. But people in the church, we ought to be able to let go of some stuff and be free in our walk with Jesus and demonstrate that to others. Here's a verse in Colossians, verse 12 I'll read to you and verse 13 will be on the screen. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You love us and we're dear and we're holy. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. It's like, oh, that's a challenge, but I could do that, Jesus. And then he makes this astonishing statement in verse 13. He says, bear with each other and forgive whatever. Everybody say, whatever. Whatever. And I don't mean whatever, like you're blowing somebody off, like whatever, like forgive whatever. He, he doesn't qualify it with the, the the weight of the offense, you know, because we're great at like, but you don't know what he did to me or what he said to me or how he hurt me. He doesn't qualify in that verse. He just says, forgive whatever offense has come to you, whatever grievances you may have against one another. And then he caps it off with this forgive as the Lord forgave you. Holy cow, how can I do this? How did Jesus forgive you? Pretty thoroughly and completely, I think. And we rejoice about that. Man, Jesus, look at the tab I had run up. Sin and disobedience and all these things, and you forgave all of it. And, and we love for other people to forgive us that way too, don't we? We're like, man, I'm sorry I offended you, but you got to forgive me because you're good Christian people, right? Like, like we want that from other people, and then we turn around we hang on to it and hold it over somebody. It says, forgive as the Lord forgave you, just like Jesus did. That means, what what did Jesus do with your sins? There's, There's a verse in the Old Testament that says, he cast them into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. We love quoting that stuff. He remembers it no more. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And he turns around and says, you need to forgive people just like that. Come on, spouses. That doesn't mean like get in an argument and say, oh, I forgive you, but then like put it in your back pocket to pull out later. You know, we're arguing about money. Oh, oh, it's okay, baby. I forgive you. I'm sorry. And next thing, next time money gets tight, I pull it out. Hey, hey, two weeks ago when you overspent. Forgive as the Lord forgave you means I let it go. And I don't hold on to it anymore. It's not ammunition in my gun anymore for us to fight. You can you can either say amen or ouch, but that is a, that is an incredible verse. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. If, come on, if anyone ever had a right to hold a grudge, it was Jesus, perfect, sinless Son of God that came to Earth and loved everybody, fed the multitudes, healed people, never did anything wrong, and they beat him and they crucified him. If he had, if he was the one if anybody had a right to hold a grudge it would be jesus and he's hanging there on the cross and he says father forgive these guys they don't even realize what they're doing how many of us can get to that place where we have that attitude of forgiveness whether you meant to do it or you didn't know you did it i need to just forgive you just like jesus forgave me and when we forgive things get better because we get better the second thing that I think will help us see things get better in our personal circumstances, number one is forgive. second one is be teachable. Be teachable simply means I recognize I don't know everything. I need somebody to help me with the stuff I don't know. Proverbs chapter 13 says this, The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life turning a man from the snares of death. I don't know about you. I might, I might not be the smartest person out there. But if somebody comes and says, "Here's the choice: Fountain of Life, Snares of Death," I'm going with Fountain of Life. Okay, I don't need a lifeline. I don't need to call a friend. I'm that's my final answer: Fountain of Life. That's the one I'm choosing. And he says, instruction is like that. When we receive wisdom from people, it's a fountain of life to us. I don't have to walk through the mess and make all the same mistakes and and get run over in life. I can learn and it's a fountain of life to me. Or I can ignore it and walk straight into a snare of death. Come on, we, we all say we're teachable until somebody tries to teach us something. You know, you know what I mean by that. Here's, here's a practical example of that, because I've had people say this one to me. Well, Pastor Chris, things would get better in my life if I just had more money. Anybody hear that? That's, that's like a real thing you get from people. And what the Fountain of Life option is, it may sound like this. And Steve, I'd be, I'd be happy to sit with you and teach you some godly principles from the Bible about how to budget and how to handle your money and how to make a plan for the long term. And in that moment, we have a choice. Am I really going to be teachable? Am I going to embrace the fountain of life that says, "Yes, here is a man of God giving me wisdom that I can learn from"? Or am I going to say, "Never mind, I got this"? Come on, how many of us do that sometimes? It's it's almost like that's an American value. I'm individuals, rugged individualism. I can do it myself. And we that is like the main symptom of people that aren't teachable. I, I, I. I will, I can, I've got this, I, I, I can do it, and I don't need you. And that's a scary place to get to. And you may, you may start acting like that, and we may say, Hey, I don't, I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. You know, things would get better if I just had a job. You can, you can make any example of this. And somebody says, Hey, well, let me teach you how to write a resume. Let's tell you some tips. for going on an interview. And when we get to the point, we're like, I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. Then we start reading the Bible a little further and we read a verse like this. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. <gasps> they put the S word in the Bible. Come on, that was our grandkids. They they they, they were told not to call people stupid. And, and they would come up, they would say, no, no, stupid is a not nice word. And... <laughs> Or, or you would have them come say, Jack said the S word. And you're like having a cow. Like, where did he hear that? Where did he learn that? And then you realize, like, oh, you know, Joyce remembers this from teaching the kids in the class. They said, he said the S word. And she finds out, like, he called him stupid. And that's what they were talking about. But there it is, right in black and white in the Bible. I, I just said, oh, I don't need anybody to tell me anything. And I read this verse that says, he who hates correction is stupid. Huh. I think the Bible just insulted me. Like, how could you say that, God? Because he who hates correction is stupid. It's a character flaw. It's something that he wants to work out of us. He wants to address. We, we need to be people that are teachable. Everybody say, I don't know it all. Man, that was great. If you didn't chime in on that one, you need help. <laughs> I don't know it. I don't, I don't even need to really preach that verse. That verse preaches itself. He who hates correction is stupid. We need to be ones that let other people speak into our lives and give us wisdom so that we can embrace the fountain of life. And the bottom line is many of us, we, we needlessly go through and suffer through situations that could change if we would just humble ourselves and ask somebody for help. And that's that's a hard thing to hear when you're in the middle of the mess and you're thinking, i got to figure this out myself. But a lot of us could avoid a lot of suffering if we would just say, man, it, it's going to work me. It's going to humble me, but I'm going to go ask somebody to tell me how to get out of this. So we need to forgive. We need to be teachable. This is the last thing I think would, would help our situation improve. Don't isolate yourself. I think that's probably the number one thing that the enemy tries to do is to get us away from everybody else away from people who would encourage us speak to us pray for us whatever it is he gets us all alone and then when we're alone you start getting all the thoughts well this is what's right this is what's right no this is and and he picks us off if he can get us alone and we need to not isolate ourselves we were created for relationship relationship with God and with other people Come on, this this is not uh, my. It would I would feel like a failure if you came and sat in the church for twenty years and you thought, man, the pinnacle of everything is I'm going to go live on a mountain by myself and be a guru and just commune with me and me and Jesus, me and God. We're created for relationship with Him and with each other. We really have to take advantage of that and figure out how it works. And please. Having 5,000 friends on social media does not mean you're in relationship. Okay? It, we, it's an amazing thing that's happened in our culture. We're like more connected than ever, but we're more isolated than ever. And, and if, you're, if your idea of, well, I've got tons of friends. I sit at home for four hours a night in a room by myself in front of the computer screen and see what all my friends are doing, you're not in relationship. Okay, we need a flesh and blood person who can look us in the face and say, how are you doing? You're, wow, it, you seem like you've been down lately. What's going on in your life? We need relationships that are real, that can help us process stuff and get out of where we've been. It's hard to see things getting better when we've chosen to face them all by ourselves. And relationships are difficult, but they're necessary. How many of you would say, amen, that relationships are difficult? Like, that's not that's not one you often hear preached in church that you want to amen. But that's the truth. Relationships are hard, but they are worth it. They they are worth us putting ourselves out to know and to be known and, and to process through all the garbage and all the potential offenses to say, man, there's something valuable that God has for me when I get in relationship with other people. I saw this headline this week, so I had to write it down. As as I was preparing this sermon and thinking about not isolating, I saw a headline that said, Loneliness Kills. And and it was an actual study, a scientific study from Rice University. and, And their discovery was that loneliness increases the time it takes you to recover from disease and it increases the risk of premature mortality. They, they did studies over the course of time on two control groups, and one were related with people and had fulfilling relationships, and one was, hey, these people are all by themselves trying to get through it. And even something as simple as, hey, you got sick, you got cold. It took longer for the people who were alone to recover. Isn't that amazing? Like, God knew this 6,000 years ago in the garden. He said it's not good for man to be alone and we're just now society is just catching up with the wisdom of almighty God. It's still not good for man to be alone. He created us for a relationship. We we can't even obey the Bible. There's over 50 times in the New Testament that it says do this with one another, love one another, serve one another, bear with one another. You can't obey those commands if you're not with The one and others. If you're all by yourself, it's not happening. When we get together, you're here this, you're here this afternoon, so obviously you know the value of assembling yourselves together. There's something unique that happens when we worship Jesus together, when the presence of God comes and He's here in our midst. There's something that happens in prayer. As much as I want us, like, hey, be praying on your own, please, please pray on your own. Like, you can pray at home all day long, but there's something that goes to another level when we pray with people. Jesus actually said it this way in Matthew 18. He says, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you. There is power in agreement. Come on, we're we're charismatics. We always quote, one will put a thousand to fight, but two will put ten thousand. It's not just a cliche. Okay, it's truth. There is something that happens corporately when we come together with one another and we begin to do those things. And sometimes, like I don't want to over spiritualize and over religious it. Sometimes there is benefit in just, hey, here's somebody to put my arm around and we know that we're for each other. Because how many of you know there's a lot of people in the world that are against you? And just coming into a place where you know, hey, here's somebody that's going to rejoice when I rejoice. They're going to cry when I cry. They're, they're, they're going to help me through these situations. They're going to, they're going to just be there with me. Some, sometimes we need to just stop talking. Have, have you ever met somebody that like the more you say, the worse it gets in their situation and all they were looking for is I just wanted somebody to sit with me so that I knew I wasn't alone while I was going through this. That's a very real benefit that we don't get if we isolate and we're all by ourselves. Galatians chapter 6 says that this way, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is, what's the law of Christ? I think we already heard some of it this morning during communion. It's to love. Right. To love God and to love others. That's the law of Christ. And one of the ways that we fulfill what Jesus wants us to do, the law of Christ, is we bear with each other. We bear each other's burdens. We help each other walk through the situations of life. We weren't meant to carry burdens all by ourselves. In fact, Jesus even said it this way, cast your cares on me because I care for you. And please don't ever say this. Have you ever seen somebody walking through a difficult situation and they say something like, well, it's just my cross to bear. Like like it sounds more holy because you get Jesus and the cross involved. It's just my cross to bear. I'll put up with it. Don't, don't trouble yourself about me. It's like, like those action movies. Go on without me. You don't wait for me. It's not your cross to bear. Jesus didn't create you to bear it by yourself. He put you in the context of relationships because there's help for one another in the midst of those things. You don't Come on, you don't have to broadcast to the whole church what you're going through. But someone, somewhere, should know what you're dealing with and be able to help you. Don't isolate. And that's, that's part of why I spent some time talking about life groups this morning. What an easy place to just come connect and just to be real with one another and to discuss things in a way that you couldn't maybe do on a Sunday morning. You know, we're not we're not taking time to delve into, you know, half an hour of everybody's issues and what's going on in the church. We'd be here all week, but there is a place for that. Where it's like, hey, outside of Sunday morning, I can gather with people who know me and, and I can get to know them. We can pray for each other. There is space for that. And it is an awesome way to experience the life that flows in the body of Christ. Let's go ahead and stand together. I I pray that as we've talked about this series, that it's made you more of a kingdom optimist than you were going in. And today I encourage you whatever you feel like you might be wrestling with, if things aren't getting better in your immediate circumstance, ask yourself those questions. Lord, is there something I need to forgive? Is there stuff I've been carrying and holding on to that, that I just need to unload it this morning? Lord, are there places where I haven't been teachable? I just need to humble myself and ask somebody, what am I doing? What's going on here? Or, or if I've been isolating myself and just withdrawn from relationships and I really need to get back to a place of putting myself out there and connecting with other people, whatever that is for you, God will meet you in that spot this morning. I just encourage you to take some steps on that. Let's, let's even just ask him right now. Father, if there are places in our lives where things haven't been getting better, we, we, We are, God. We're so thrilled that you are expanding your kingdom, that we're seeing evidence of it on a global level. But, Lord, where there's stuff in our individual lives that hasn't been changing, we keep going around the mountain, we keep getting dragged through the muck, God, show us where we need to take action to get out of that place. Practical things that we can do. Lord, I thank you that you empower us. Even when you show us what to do, you empower us to take those steps. God, if there's there's people in this room that we've been holding on to grudges for so long that it's crippled us, i ask right now that you would release the grace to forgive. That you would allow us to let go of what we've been holding on to, that we could be free and that the weight could be lifted off of us. God, where there's places where we've been hard-hearted and prideful, I ask that you would help us to be teachable. Let us humble ourselves and recognize that we don't know it all. And God, where we've pulled back from valuable relationships, show us that, Lord, and give us the grace to reach back out. Those Those are some things that we've talked about But I I will say we can step back even one step. And the the key to things getting better in anyone's life, the very first step is to come to know Jesus. That's part of the good news we carry. Last week we said Jesus is the winner. We need to know, people in the world need to know, everyone around us needs to know that you can have the winner, the victor of all eternity with you every single moment of your life. And it really, it really is as simple as Romans chapter ten says. All we have to do is believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. That we believe that God raised Him from the dead. That what He did was for us. It says we will be saved. And I just, I just encourage you. If, I I know most of everybody in the room, and I think everybody's done that. But if you've never taken that step to say Jesus. I believe that you raised from the dead and that you are Lord. just encourage you to do that this morning and tell somebody before you leave this place if it's your first time that you ever do that. God, I, I thank you for this time that we've had together this morning. I thank you that you called us, your family. It says you brought us out of darkness into your kingdom. And we, do, we thank you for that, Lord. And I ask, God, that as as we leave this place, we would leave as people full of hope and optimism for what you are doing in the world and the power that you have released to change things. Let us be carriers of good news. Father, forgive us for the times when we've carried a bad report. Let us be carriers of good news to the world, that they might know you and see you in all of your glory and your goodness. God, bless your people indeed. Let your goodness and your mercy follow us everywhere that we go. Let your favor be upon everything we put our hands to, God, for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Look at, look at somebody next to you and just say amen to that. Amen to that.